Right, true believers, and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, and if you're new to this, this is the podcast about animation from the world of comic books. Superhero animation, we don't care what it is as long as it comes from the world of comics. We have a good time, no controversy. This is episode five, and this week we're going to talk, which I would say, and most people would agree, the most popular superhero in the Marvel canon. He is the amazing Spider-Man. But before we get too much into that, I'm going to bring on my guest. Just like the old DC Comics Presents Marvel team-up, Brave and the Bold, I have a guest with me every week. And this week, let me introduce, he is the host of That Movie Show podcast. He's also the content provider for Laugh Boston and the Improv Asylum. Welcome to the multiverse, Eddie McCabe. I am so happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite comic book cartoons of all time. Now, welcome to the Multiverse, Eddie. Now, you picked what we were going to talk about this week's Spider-Man. Now, did you pick that from a lifetime love of the character, or is it more the cartoon itself? This is one of the first cartoons that I remember like really kind of falling in love with in terms of comic books, right? I grew up as like the prime demographic for this and the X-Men cartoon of the 90s. That was like my bread and butter on Saturday mornings with a big bowl of frosted flakes. And the episode that we picked and decided to do today definitely had a, uh, a huge impact on me as like a TV viewer, you know, especially as a young TV viewer, because we'll get into uh, more details of the episode later. But it was the first time that a TV show really kind of had consequences for me, uh, you know, because up until that point, the good guy always wins and the good guy always triumphs and, you know, everybody kind of ends up walking away unscathed. And in this particular episode, that's not 100% the case. You know, it just showed a little bit more complex storytelling and a more like adult storytelling as my childhood kind of evolved and grew. So we're going to start at the top. We always like to give credit where credit is due on this show. The creator, creators of Spider-Man were one Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And if you don't know who those people are, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast <laughs> in the first place. And even though the cartoon Started in 1994, we're going back to 1996 for the Spider-Man the Animated Series episode, Turning Point. You uh, picked this particular episode. Was there anything uh, about this particular episode that made you pick it above all of the Spider-Man episode? I, As I remember, the episode just had a lot of consequences. And then, like, as I ended up getting into comic books and, like, physical comic books later, what this episode represents in the like grander history of 
Spider-Man, I figured that this was a great parallel to his comic book counterpart and being able to kind of compare and contrast a little bit, you know, as opposed to some of the other more basic, like, action-packed cartoon storylines that the show has. All right, so we're going to get to the particular episode, but first we're going to just discuss the Spider-Man the Animated Series cartoon itself. Spider-Man had had some cartoons before, but uh, he hadn't had one since uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which I think went off the air in 1983, so there had been a pretty big gap without a Spider-Man cartoon. If you remember the 90s, which you had said earlier, that was pretty much when the superhero animation genre kind of really made a big comeback Yeah, with... This, X-Men, Batman, the animated series, and later on, the Superman show. Yeah, you know, Fantastic Four and Iron Man also had shows around this time. And while there wasn't much crossover between Iron Man and the Fantastic Four with Spider-Man and X-Men, Spider-Man and X-Men did have a bunch of crossover. And I almost actually selected one of the X-Men Spider-Man crossover episodes just because it's, you know, a big, huge, action-packed bonanza. But at the end of the day, I thought, hey, you know, let's do something that's kind of got an interesting parallel because – It's very similar to kind of what the MCU and what Disney are doing with their movies currently, right? Where, you know, you look at Captain America Civil War in the MCU based off of the comic book Civil War storyline that Marvel had. There are key players in that movie that are not available, right? Because they didn't at the time or don't have the rights to them. And so – you know, they had to adapt and change, and it's kind of the same thing with what they ended up doing with the episode here, Turning Point, which is, you know, pretty exciting. Uh, because as somebody who was watching this episode as, at the time, obviously not currently, but at the time watching it, it was eye opening and it had the exact same impact that its comic book storyline had on me at the time. So um, the main force behind it, the producer and main writer, was one John Semper, and him and Bob Richardson were the producers. Now, we're going to travel in time here to the 90s, which was a bizarre era because the comic industry was booming, especially in the early 90s, huge. Like, the highest-selling comics of all time all came out in the early 90s, and as well, the animation, like we had discussed, was coming back. But yet, John Semper said that Marvel didn't have a lot of say in the cartoon because, believe it or not, they were almost at bankruptcy at that point, which is really mind-boggling when you think about it. He said that uh, Stan Lee had some input in the first season, but Avi Arred and Marvel didn't have a lot of creative control, so John Semper said he could kind of do what he wanted, and they were against the idea of the ongoing storylines. They wanted it more like a toy commercial, basically. Yeah. I mean, that totally tracks. I just remember the amount of toys that this particular show kind of spawned. I know I had a bunch of them. It was the longest running Spider-Man animated cartoon. Animated cartoon. (laughs) It was the longest running one until Spider-Man Unlimited in 2015 actually took away that championship. Oh. You know, I've never actually watched that one. I, I think I just kind of aged out. I think it's on Disney Plus, though, so I should probably go back and watch spider-man unlimited i've never seen it but i'm sure i'll review it at some point on the show yeah probably now um some interesting things here that uh john semper said he wasn't really a fan of batman the animated series he didn't like the animation style so that's why he says he deliberately tried to make this brighter a more realistic new york and really a contrast to the batman show so again batman in a way 
is responsible for Spider-Man the Animated Series being what it was. Yeah, you can also tell because, you know, unlike Batman the Animated Series, there's a lot of uh, computer-generated image and animation in this. Uh, You see it in the opening title sequence. You see it, you know, when he's swinging around New York. That New York is also very computer-generated. Doesn't particularly age well, but, you know, it's it's there. Yeah, it's kind of those things that looked good at the time, but now with the advancements in CGI and computer animation, it does look a little dated. Yeah, just, you know, and then comparatively, Batman the Animated Series just looks way more timeless. Now, uh, some interesting tidbits. Um, They had used uh, a majority of his rogues gallery and a lot of guest stars. Two characters they said they were unable to use were Sandman and Electro. And the reason given that I looked up was that James Cameron was developing the Spider-Man film then, and those were the two villains he was going to use. So they were not allowed to use those two characters. Yeah, I always thought it was weird because in his place, they ended up using Hydro Man. <laughs> and and it, and I remember watching it being like, I don't know, it feels like you wanted to use Sandman, but for some odd reason just didn't. And apparently towards the end, I don't remember, they actually started using Electro because at that point it had become evident that James Cameron was not going to be producing any Spider-Man movie. In fact, we didn't get that until like, what, nine years later? Yeah, something like that. Um, another thing um, which I found interesting, uh, censorship. Spider-Man the Animated Series has been a big, long uh, debate about censorship. Some say it was heavily censored. John Semper, the main guy, says that even though it was censored, that that's been greatly exaggerated over the years. Now, I looked up a list of the things censored. Now, there was a lot, but there were three that caught my eye that I just had to bring to your attention and everybody listening. Number one, the Sinister Six had to be changed to the Insidious Six because Sinister sounded too scary. Uh, Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, Number two, this one is my favorite because it's just so, when you say it out loud, it's so ridiculous. Did I say ridiculous? <laughs> ridiculous. That's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> they wanted to use Carnage, but in the comic books, if you remember, Carnage was a serial killer, and that wouldn't fly in a children's cartoon. So they changed it to him just being a lunatic. Yeah, that feels like one of those just like <laughs> blanket statements that they use in like kids shows, where it's like, yeah, if you read into it, he's definitely a serial killer. But we can't say serial killer on Fox Saturday morning cartoons, so he's crazy. You know, it's that same nonsense the WWE pulled with uh, Dean Ambrose, where it's like they didn't have the backbone to call him an actual, like, serial killer, which is what they wanted to do uh, because it wasn't the 90s anymore. So instead they're like, he's a lunatic, and it's just like, okay, but you're not doing anything actually crazy, but I guess if we read between the lines... Now, is it just me, or isn't serial killer and lunatic kind of go hand in hand? Oh, they're synonyms. They're absolute synonyms. And then my favorite, well, I said the last one my favorite, but this one might top it. There was a note on the censorship. Spider-Man, when jumping from building to building, is not to land on pigeons. Oh, yeah. How dare you? How dare you? You better not land on pigeons. I mean, think about that. That means that someone would have had to have taken the time to hand-drawn, or I don't know if they were using computers, the pigeons for Spider-Man <laughs> to stay. That feels like the same type of petty censorship that, like, Apple has in movies, where it's like, villains can't use our phones. <laughs> now, um, 
And this was also, I don't know if everyone knows this, the Spider-Man ride at Universal Studios was actually based on the animation and the concept of this cartoon. If you've never been there, uh, you can definitely see it, and it's still a great ride to this day, which is crazy because it's based on a cartoon from the 90s. Yeah, so good. It's also wild to me that uh, the Universal Orlando theme parks own very little of the intellectual properties in their park. Yeah, that is uh, strange. I wonder, this is a little off topic, do they have to pay Disney for using those characters? So Marvel sold them the theme park rights to everything east of the Mississippi, right? So that's why they're able to make uh, the MCU land in Disneyland, but there won't be anything like similar to that with like anybody that's represented at Islands of Adventure. Uh, it's like a really weird contract when Marvel, like, because they were broke and they just kind of sold off everything because they were trying to make money, both theme park rights as well as movie rights. So getting into a little bit of the premise, this was actually set during the college years where a lot of times when they start Spider-Man, it's always as a teenager. But this one was actually him attending Empire State University. Yeah. So this show is just a little bit older. I think it just kind of helps tell the story of Peter Parker a little bit better. It, it just kind of gives them a little bit more lateral movement. Yeah, you're probably right. And they, at that point, I mean, still this day, I think they've kind of overdone the, the teenage thing at this point. They've done three movie series where he's a teenager in every single one. Yeah, I also absolutely hate the <laughs> I hate the one more day storyline from the comic books. Oh, terrible. Garbage. And I hate Brand New Day because I feel like Marvel as a whole kneecaps the character periodically. Like it feels like Spider-Man, one of his like big things is him and like Harry Potter. They both are on the perpetual hero's journey where they like finally turn that corner and then the hand of God comes in and just is like, nope, we're bringing you back to square one. Uh, whereas I think this cartoon series does a great job of having Peter Parker have a awesome arc all the way through, all the way through to the last episode. You know, I think that he really kind of grows and evolves and changes you know, from season one to the last episode, which is like super bizarre and weird. If you've ever seen the last episode of this series, uh, it's been a long time. In fact, um, it's been a long time since I've seen any of the show. I, I think I watched the first episode when Disney Plus first released it, but it had been a long time since I had watched the cartoon. Right. Um, and also, uh, I did not know this until doing my research. The Spider-Man theme song performed by one Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty great. I actually, listening to it, you know, it's got the, the guitars and does the, the, the Spider-Man, the electronic voice. Well, we're going to hear it in a few minutes when we, when we watch the episode, but you, you get the point. Right. All right. We're going to go into now a little bit of uh, detail on the particular episode, Spider-Man Turning Point, original air date, November 23rd, 1996. This was the season three finale. This episode was written by John Semper, James Craig, Robert Skeer, and Marty Eisenberg. And it was directed by one Bob Richardson. Now, the main story was kind of an element of some of the cartoon they borrowed from some of the comics, specifically Amazing Spider-Man number 39, uh, How Green Is My Goblin, and Amazing Spider-Man 121, The Night Gwen Stacy Died, which is odd because Gwen Stacy's not in the actual... Yeah, episode. she's not in this show. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of background on the main players of this episode, Spider-Man, like we already said, created by Stanley and Steve Ditko, is voiced by Christopher Daniel Barnes. Most people will know him as he played Greg Brady in those two Brady Bunch movies when I mean, that was all the rage. 
a little fact I didn't know. He was on the short-lived Starman television show with one Robert Hayes, who was most famous for Airplane, but he went on to voice Iron Man on the aforementioned Iron Man animated series. So that, I thought, was an interesting little uh, little tidbit of a small world in the world of superheroes. Yeah, right. Uh, Mary Jane is voiced by one Sarah Ballantine, which I could not find anything on anything she's ever done outside of this. And the character of Mary Jane was created by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. The Green Goblin, also created by Stan Lee and Steve Vicko. He's voiced by a Neil Ross, who's a British actor who's done a lot of animated voices. In fact, in the 80s and 90s, if you did one animated show, you did a ton. He actually voiced Shipwreck on the G.I. Joe cartoon. Nice. He did several voices on Transformers, including Slag and Bone Crusher. Cool. Um, and finally, uh, one Madam Webb is on this episode. She was created by Denny O'Neill and John Romita Jr. And she's voiced actually by Joan Lee, the wife of Stan Lee. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah, some some of the stuff I um I did not know. Now, had you had those, particularly the night Gwen Stacy died, did you have those stories in your mind and ahead of time when you saw this back in the day? No, uh, I did not. I I was not a comic book reader when watching this show you know it was one of those things that i didn't know until much later how the implications of the night gwen stacy died and like what that meant for comics and like what that did for you know the kind of the medium in general and how it kind of changed everything that's kind of how it felt watching this right because again We'll we'll get into, you know, what happens a little bit more, but, you know, it parallels the night Gwen Stacy died. And up until this point, a lot of the media that I had been watching and, you know, you watch Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And at the end of the day, they save whoever's in trouble and they win, you know, and people don't die. You know, the bad guy doesn't win. You know what I mean? And so that was very impactful watching this as a kid. Because, again, it was, yeah, the good guy wasn't able to save the damsel in distress. He wasn't able to save, and in this case, Mary Jane. Yeah, up to that point, the only cartoons I can remember ever dealing with any death was obviously Bruce Wayne's parents. Right. You can't get around that. (laughs) That's his origin. And Spider-Man earlier with, uh, they always address Ben Parker being killed because, again, that's the whole catalyst. So it's not something that but dealt with a lot, very heavy duty in the uh, world of cartoons. But even still in those two instances, you don't see the Waynes die, and you don't see Uncle Ben die. That is true. So, yeah, it's kind of off camera. So It's, it's off not camera. As, you can kind of almost not, if you're a kid, probably not even really realize what's going on. Or if it is, it like, you know, it, it's off camera, right? Like, you don't see anybody get shot. You know, none of those things. Like, you might see them die, but you don't. The death is off screen. You know, this is the first time where it's just like, oh, no, this is the end. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, wow, that's that's a big turning point. All right. So on that note, myself and Ed, we're going to take a break and we're going to sit down and we're going to travel through the multiverse to November 23rd, 1996. We're going to watch and then we're going to come back and talk about Spider-Man, the animated series turning point. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
I'll blow this town to smithereens. Time bomb. Try to get up there in time, Spider-Man. What's become of my web, Goblin? Watch yourself fall, Silk Slinger. Can't stop the bombs in time. If I don't get you webhead, my diagnosis will. Holy Hannah. And you're running out of fluid. Is this more action than even Spider-Man can handle? Spider-Man, a video game from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. You've seen Spider-Man swinging on Saturdays, swaying through the city, keeping the streets safe from surly super villains. I have a goblin to catch. So when Fox Kids takes over, Spider-Man swings six days a week. If ever my spider strength meant anything at all, this is that time. Doing his sticky web over evil scum, Mondays will fight him. His only reward, a sudden loose. Oh boy. So stick around and swing with Spider-Man weekdays and Saturday on Fox Kids. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... And we're back, and I hope you took the time to watch Spider-Man the Animated Series Turning Point during the break as well. But if you did not, I'm going to give you a heads up. Massive spoiler alerts coming up. Yeah. So, um, was that like a rewatching that again, taking you back to your childhood? It was, and I think it's just I watch so much content these days. Uh, but it felt very fast. Like, I remember this episode being a lot longer you know, at like a 22 minute runtime, it just flew by. Like, I just remember this story being more grandiose and more, you know, slower paced. But no, this thing starts and it's just a rocket ship right to the moon. Yeah, without the commercials, it also that to me makes it seem to go by that much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's fun because, yeah, this is the season three finale. There's just so much going on. Uh, you know, the stuff with Madam Web that we don't really kind of like get into, they're hinting at Secret Wars, which comes on later on in the show. Uh, you know, the introduction and like the culmination of the Green Goblin. This is my favorite incarnation of the Green Goblin in any sort of medium that isn't the comic books, because I think that they're able to play with him a lot better than Willem Dafoe was able to do or. I forget the actor that played him in The Amazing Spider-Man, but, you know, it wasn't that great in there either. Now, we had that intro with the the song and the CGI, the computer generated. I got to say, looking back, it's uh, I know it's a little dated, but it still looks pretty darn cool, I got to say. Well, you know, at the end of the day, any sort of cartoon needs to have style, right? Like, whatever your style is, you just need to just have your own style. And for better or for worse, that's exactly what this show is, right? It, it's like, no, we decided to go with the CGI New York for the web swinging and for the, you know, the intro. And, you know, for better or for worse, this is what it is. And it's like, oh, yeah, it brings me back to the 90s and it makes it feel like one of those 90s era Marvel shows. I like it's got the, you know, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man, <laughs> great little computer singing. Yeah, the yeah that synth-like robotic. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely, it's perfect. So the show opens with, um, this threw me off a little bit because you're kind of in the middle of a story almost where yeah. Spider-Man's with Madam Web telling him, 
He's ending uh, their relationship. He doesn't need her anymore. He's got everything that he could want. His life is good the way it is now. She keeps talking and preparing him for uh, secret wars that will come later. Spoiler, but we already did the warning. But that's what she's gearing him up for, right? And she just refuses to tell him what's going on. And throughout the season, she's just basically like summoning him to this weird bodega that she's living in. And is just like, oh, my God, like, you know. Hey, you got to run on this errand and you got to do this and you got to do that. And finally, he's like, no, I have Mary Jane and like everything's great and I don't need this. I don't need you. Get out of here. So she's like, all right, fine, but uh, you're going to be in trouble real soon and I won't help. Bye. (laughs) And she warns him of the two headed monster. Yeah. I always thought Madam Web was kind of a weird character in the Spider-Man universe. Spider-Man always seemed a little more grand in reality than the rest of the Marvel Universe to me. I know there's, you know, guys are turning to lizards and whatnot, yeah. but she always seemed a little more mystical. It almost seemed like she belonged in a different comic book. Yeah, 100%. She feels like she's like a slug person, especially in this iteration. And she's just like a – it's the idea of like the, the Spider-Verse right and that i was just like oh, i don't know if i necessarily like this idea of like a multiverse of just spider-man it feels like it takes away from the like the everyman that is peter parker or whatever incarnation now um even as a kid something a bell would be going off like he says he's got everything he's ever wanted everything said something bad is gonna <laughs> yeah you know again it's just like oh there's a two-headed monster it's going to attack you real soon he's just like but everything's perfect it's just like oh everything's about to go wrong we switch over to the goblin in his uh, lair and he's working on interdimensional spot technology yes now that is a villain the spot yes which apparently i don't remember this was on the show yeah so he was on the show and yeah he basically created the like interdimensional travel and was like Robin Banks and stuff. And I'm pretty sure he got sucked into his own device. So he got trapped in interdimensional space. He's a pretty ridiculous character. I'm actually surprised that he actually made it into this cartoon. I think they knew that they wanted to use it only because of how this particular episode ends. Because, you know, the night when Stacy died, her falling and snapping her neck, I don't think is, is very kid friendly. So, so um, he says he's going to, with this technology, now he's going to topple both Spider-Man and the Kingpin. He has that manic energy that the Joker has, which I appreciate because he's the Joker in a oddly more flamboyant costume. <laughs> but it's that duality. I, I do like that duality that Norman Osborn has because you can tell that it's this like split personality and Norman – You know, he's crazy. He's definitely a crazy person, but he's not the bad guy. Like the Green Goblin is like this other segment of his personality that is the bad guy. And I always appreciated that. I thought that this was great. But yeah, he's going to topple both the Kingpin, who is like a major villain in this show, far more than I think the Kingpin is in Spider-Man like normally. It always depended on the writer when it came to Kingpin. Very true. And so, yeah, he basically starts stalking Spider-Man <laughs> with the spots. So he robs an armored car, which was it just me or did it look like a mail truck to you? Yeah, it looks like a mail truck. <laughs> uh, like he's setting off explosions and like he's deliberately he even comments how he's what's taking Spider-Man so long to get there. Like he's trying to lure Spider-Man out at this point. 
that's the thing is like this this bank robbery feels or this armored car robbery just feels very much just like I'm looking for attention. That's all I want is I just want attention. So they have the fight and Spider-Man kind of chases him off. But little does Spider-Man know that he's actually using that interdimensional spot technology to not only spy on him, but it's also messing with his spider sense. Yeah, it's freaking out because, you know, the Green Goblin's around. So Spider-Man doesn't know what's going on. Can't see him because apparently Spider-Man just can't turn and look, you know, look around. (laughs) To the big green floating. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's a man standing on a jet engine in the sky and you just can't hear that? (laughs) Eh, All right. Okay. So then in a big moment, Spidey thinks he's alone takes his mask off and the green goblin discovers spider-man's secret identity that was really fun because it blows the green goblin's mind that it's like oh my god it's my son's friend that's insanity and he can't believe it's just a kid yeah it's just some kid and it's just like have you looked at peter parker i mean have you looked at spider-man he is not a man despite what the name would tell you and I like how when, he, when he's going on about how he can't believe it, he actually refers to himself as Spider-Man's greatest foe. Yeah, yeah, he does. He waxes a very poetic. Watching this episode back, that's definitely one thing that I noticed was that like, oh, you're definitely like hamming this dialogue up. Like it's very, very hammy. It makes you wonder, like, did they really... Do villains really think about that? Do they really rank themselves as like, I am greatest foe? I'd like to think so. I would like to think so. And like every now and then when they're all hanging out playing poker, whether in prison or out, they, you know, rank themselves. <laughs> so we cut to a restaurant where there's uh, Mary Jane and uh, Liz hanging out discussing Peter Parker and their relationship and for one, how unreliable he is. But how wonderful he is. Yes. Despite his flaws, he's just a great guy. Uh, everything everything is wonderful, and everything's great. And if you didn't get the foreshadowing at this point, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So they start talking about uh, Harry Osborne, Norman's son, who's uh, he's got a birthday coming up. But uh, apparently he was dating Mary Jane before, and he feels that they both betrayed him by falling in love. Yeah. Yet they're still both invited to the birthday party. Yeah, which is weird. (laughs) I don't know. You stole my girlfriend. You're literally playing out Jesse's girl right now. And, you know, I think it's weird that you're invited to the birthday party. But we find out almost immediately when they decide to go to the birthday party that it was actually Norman Osborn that invited Peter Parker because he knows that he's Spider-Man. And then there's this weird, like... Mega powers explode esque <laughs> handshake that happens between Norman and Peter, where it's like, we both know that you know that I know that you know that we're the other person. Even they do the thought in Spider Man's head about how if he was any other person, his hand would be broken. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's just like the over dramatization, dramatization of this like conversation of this handshake. It feels very much like an anime, like a Japanese anime over explanation, uh, which I desperately appreciate. You picture like the explosion in the background when their hands yeah. <laughs> lock. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, uh, at this point now, Harry has made it abundantly clear that his dad insisted he invite Peter Parker. Yes. They've done the, the handshake of doom. Yes. 
Then, <laughs> what I found bizarre, Norm was really going on about the stew, and now Peter had to try <laughs> the stew. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was like, why do you, you like, just, uh, just try the stew? It's like, why do you want me to try this stew so bad, Norman? What is happening? It's a whole dinner party, but he is, like, laser-focused on Peter Parker. <laughs> oh, he is. Well, because he's a crazy person. He's a hyper-fixated crazy person. And basically everything goes to hell because this crazy person can't get his act together. And so, yeah, he basically, like, sets the house on fire. And, like, this is a dinner party. There's, like, 12, 13 people there. But he is just, like, totally talking to Peter and about Peter. In fact, says something about how uh, him and Mary Jane conspired together to pull one over on Harry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, guys, I think that you're a little you're a little lost right now as to, like, what is happening? Uh, like, it's two P. It's a relationship. They weren't stealing Sate's secrets. Come on. Get out of here. Yeah, he makes it like some big heel turn or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. This in secret the whole time. We were going to gain his trust. And then once we gained his trust, we were going to break his heart. Finally, after hitting it a secret and all this bizarre behavior, Peter really starts to think maybe he actually knows who I am. I think even Norman made some reference to us having a big secret, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. He, well, that was the thing, is that he was going to, like, reveal Peter's big secret that they both have. So Peter freaks out and just throws his web shooters into the fire. <laughs> and that just sets the house ablaze. Which leads to probably my favorite dumb moment of this, where, like, Peter gets out and is, like, about to do Spider-Man stuff, and then realizes, like, oh, no, I threw my web shooters in the fire. I don't have any more. That just seemed like a real reckless diversion to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like you're at a dinner party. Maybe if you accidentally spilled some wine on Mary Jane, that would have broken the tension or stopped it. But No. We went full-on arson. And I never knew until then that the webs were flammable, but apparently they are. Apparently. Apparently in the cartridge, they're combustible, I guess. It's probably harder for our younger viewers to realize. I mean, now he could just pull his phone out and say, oh, it's vibrating. I'm getting a call. I have to oh. I have to go instead of setting the house on fire. <laughs> I still think in the 90s, there are better ways that you could have been like, yo, I got to go, than just straight up. Like, arson. So they have this big fight. And this this moment truly baffled me. Apparently, going to his friend's birthday party, he wore the spider suit under his rented tux. Well, it's Spider-Man. You never know when you're going to need it. I feel like he's always just has the spider suit underneath him. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess he must at all times be wearing the spider suit under his clothes, except maybe when he's going to the beach. Yeah. Or, you know, when he thinks that he's going to, uh, you know, hook up with Mary Jane. <laughs> so they have the big fight, of course, which uh, leads all the way to the bridge. So if you're a comic fan at this point, you're like, uh -oh. oh, my God, they're Mary Jane's there. They're fighting on the bridge. What is going to happen at this point? And, yeah, that's the thing is, like, she's up on top of the bridge and things uh, get ominous real quick. They're fighting over the spot technology. Holes are dropping everywhere. Things start going wrong. Now, then he takes his glider and he lands it on a bigger glider. Yeah. Hence the two-headed monster we heard so much about earlier on in the episode. 
Oh man, foreshadowing. So much foreshadowing. It was it was wonderful. But yeah, uh they end up flying around fighting and yeah, the spot like interdimensional device ends up breaking and creating a huge portal that sucks both him and her into the spot, which is very reminiscent of the movie, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. He tries to hit him with the glider to knock Spider-Man into it, but ends up hitting himself. Now we cut over to, uh, he says he's going to go and he's going to you know, do something. He gets out of there with the uh, spot technology. We jump to uh, Aunt May drinking tea. Oh, yeah, that's right. With Mary Jane's aunt. And they're talking about everything that's going on. So Spider-Man thinks he's going to go after Aunt May. So he goes home to make sure Aunt May is all right. Yeah. Which... To everyone's surprise, Aunt May is in bed. Yeah, she's sleeping. Everything is okay. Spider-Man doesn't know what's going on. But then he goes to Mary Jane's house and Green Goblin kidnaps Mary Jane. That's right. That is right. Now, at this point, Goblin starts having some inner turmoil with Norman Osborn that he shouldn't be doing this. These are Harry's friends and maybe this has gone too far. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, the evil half of him, Green Goblin, is like, no, we're going to get our revenge. And he turns the uh, glider onto autopilot. And they fight, and Mary Jane falls into the portal. Yes. Now, this is kind of crazy, because uh, Spider-Man thinks she might have uh, fallen into the water, so he dives in and tries to rescue her, hoping that he can find her. But he cannot find her. This is kind of a crazy moment that uh, even... Even though you know the whole Gwen Stacy dying off the bridge, you kind of think, at least I did, that he's going to somehow, you know, he's going to pull it out. He's going to get her out of that uh, that portal. Right. So they get into a fight on top of the glider. And this is actually interesting as well. Um, I didn't know this, but because of a lot of the violence people were against in children's programs, Spider-Man didn't throw punches very often back on the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of throwing and grappling, but not a lot of punching. That's how you knew it was real. The shit was on here because he throw he, he he lays a haymaker on Green Goblin in this fight. I guess it does help. It helps when you can punch anything. You know, it's it's less powerful. But when you can't, it makes it more powerful. So they're fighting on the glider, which is losing fuel. So they're going to end up crashing. The technology is going haywire as well. So a portal is created and it's starting to suck Green Goblin into the portal. Right. Now, I'm not a little fuzzy on this technology, but he's been going back and forth through the portal, so would that have been the end of the world if he got... I don't know how the implication is that he's not going to be able to get out of this portal. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe because Mary Jane just went in and didn't get out is the reason that... He doesn't get out. He don't get out. Spider-Man's going to leave him for a second. He's going to just let him get sucked in. And then he says, this isn't going to help Mary Jane. You know, This is just revenge. He can't do that. And that's why he's the hero. He tries to save Green Goblin. Right. But the automatic glider goes at Spider-Man. He ducks. Green Goblin causes his own downfall because it hits him in the chest, knocking him into the portal. Just like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And that's actually how they originally killed the Green Goblin back in the comic books, even though years later they revealed that that didn't actually kill him. But at the time, <laughs> yeah, I would think that would at the very least break your sternum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, would, it would not be a fun time at the El Royale, I'll tell you that much. And then he goes into the pool, and he vanishes as well. So then the portals are gone. Mary Jane and the Green Goblin have both vanished into the spot pool, spot portals, not pools. Yes. So Spider-Man's losing it. He's very mad. And he goes to Madam Web, 
saying, you got to bring them back. Yeah. And she's just like, nah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nah. He said, you know, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't going to do it. Now they, they don't, I guess they imply, I don't know. She kind of almost is snarky about how, uh, her response about how he said he could do it on his own and, uh, she's not going to do it. It's weird because it simultaneously feels like she's like, I can't do it. But even if I could, I wouldn't. It's like, wow, you're terrible. He loses it then. He's like, stay out of my life. I don't ever want to see you again. I'm, I'm going to take care of things on my own. I don't need you. I never want to talk to you again. And just bounces. And she's like, yes, but I'll still need him later. As she's sort of vanishing into the fog, she says how he's still the chosen one. Yeah. She's still going to need him. She's going to return for that ultimate battle, which I'm assuming is a reference to, uh, what was it, Secret War that came around later on? Yeah, they end up doing Secret Wars at the end, and, and there's all kinds of crazy heroes that are there. It's a really good, it's a really good series. And then they cut to Mary Jane. She's just fallen and fallen and fallen through this portal. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know where I am. I almost feel that's like almost worse than dying. Like she's just going to, for eternity, be falling down this portal. Yeah, just falling down, looping around, not going anywhere. Yes, not fun. Not a fun situation. I guess then at least you have the somewhat hopeful implication that she can be saved and she's not dead. But that was the craziest part about this. This was the season finale, right? Like, yeah. This was, this was it. And so it was crazy that like, oh, now we just have to, we just got to wait until the next batch of episodes comes. And, you know, here we are. This is it. Yeah, that's not the end. I mean, what a crazy way to end any show, let alone a kid's cartoon. Yeah. And then if I remember correctly, the episode right after that has, like, nothing to do with it. Like, it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> so, I mean, this is crazy. You got to think that the love of his life, who knows he's Spider-Man at this point, who he's finally happy. Yeah. And she is, that's it. She's vanished. She's gone. She is, uh. Out of there. So um, let's discuss a couple of differences from comic to... Yeah. Now, it was Gwen Stacy who died, which we discussed earlier. Was Gwen Stacy at this point even been introduced on the cartoon? I don't think she ever was introduced on the cartoon. And obviously, we've discussed that both Gwen Stacy and the Green Goblin were actually killed, not sent into other portals. The fight is actually pretty similar to the original one. Right. Except just changing the players of it. And that shot of Green Goblin capturing Peter Parker where he's got the ripped clothes with the Spider-Man is very similar to the Spider-Man 39 as well, which was crazy at the time. Nobody nobody back in the 60s did any of the villains ever know the secret identities of their uh, arch enemies. So that was really a big deal back in the day. Right. Now, uh, again, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Do they bring the Green Goblin and Mary Jane back? Let's uh, try and uh, see if we can end this on a happy note. <laughs> Yeah, so he comes back. I know the Green Goblin comes back halfway through the next season, I believe. And I want to say Mary Jane comes back eventually. Also in season four, he like gets her back, but probably at the end, if I remember correctly. It makes me wonder. Uh, I didn't. I didn't look it up. I wonder what the decision was into doing this. Did they just want to have the stakes be higher? Were they sick of using Mary Jane? Did they just want to? Pay a tribute to a classic comic. I wonder what they were thinking going into this. I do. I wonder. Yeah, because I'm looking at it right here. Uh, so season five, they end up getting married. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure she makes it back at the end of season four. Well, that's good. And there's another thing they took from the comic where uh, Mary Jane and uh, Peter Parker got married. And hopefully then the show ended so they never resorted to that stupid 
one more day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have Mephisto come in and be like, I can save Aunt May, but I need your love. I need That's what I need. I need your love. And it's just like, oh, she's like a billion years old. And it's sad, but maybe it's time for Aunt May to die. Which is bizarre, because before that happened, they'd actually killed her off and then brought her back saying that it was a clone that the Green Goblin had switched to mess with. Yeah. Peter Parker. At one point in the comics, I don't know for anyone who remembers, every terrible thing in Spider-Man's life was all the result of Norman Osborn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Norman Osborn is a great villain. Mostly because he is the best parts of the Joker and Lex Luthor in one package. Well, there you have it, folks. Spider-Man the Animated Series Turning Point. First, Sir Ed, let's jump to the spectrometer on a scale of... Uh, up to four, four being perfect, zero being dog shit. How do you rank Spider-Man, the animated series, turning point? Uh, it's a three. I think the pacing of it stops it from being a four for me. But, you know, I think it's still pretty good. It's really solid. It brought back a lot of nostalgia feels for me, uh, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I'm going to rank it around a three as well. I, I enjoyed it. I thought, even though it's slightly dated, I really did like the animation and uh, the action. I liked the way they did Norman Osborn. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> The handshake specifically, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed. It's fun. I'm gonna try and uh, get my stepson maybe to watch some of it with me. Cool. My daughter will watch it, but she's uh, a year and a half. She'll any cartoon I can put her. Yeah, yeah. You just put her in front of the TV at that point, and she'll watch it. Now, on that note, I also ask every guest: if a child of 2021 stumbled across this cartoon, this episode, how do you think they would react? If they just dropped in from outer space. I think that they would be like, what is going on? This makes no sense. This is stupid. Uh, just because this is the season finale of a show. If you started at episode one and like worked your way through and worked your way to this episode, I think that they would really enjoy it. This show does a great job of capturing the spirit of Spider-Man uh, and is a great introduction to the character. Yeah, I think if... um. Most kids, uh, it's bright enough, and it's uh, a lot of going on, I think, would enjoy it. And if a kid has any familiarity with Spider-Man, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't sit down and watch this and enjoy it. Maybe they'd be confused by this particular episode, but the cartoon as a whole, I definitely think, stands the test of time, and kids today would enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Ed, I want to thank you for joining us and reviewing and uh, picking Spider-Man the Animated Series. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It was delightful. I hope you'll come back for another episode. Of course. I have so many different things that we can sit and watch. And I'm willing to push your comfort zone, uh, <laughs> you know, and push the definition of comic book show. I noticed uh, while looking up trying to find this, there's a, there's a lot more modern superhero and comic book animation now that I even realize. There's a whole bunch of stuff I've never even seen. Oh, yeah. You know, you go on Disney Plus. They have so much stuff there that is both current and older. You know, one thing that I don't know if we talked about it when we were like picking episodes, but it's just like the sequel series to this Spider-Man 2099, as well as X-Men Evolution uh, are also both really solid that came after these in the like late early 2000s. There's been consistently good comic book content out you know, since basically the 90s. That's where I'm going to stop it. <laughs> well, the good news, it means I will never, ever, ever run out of material for this podcast. Yeah, which is, you know, 
always a positive. So speaking of, do you want to plug anything while you're here? Yeah, you can find me at the Eddie McCabe on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I host a show called That Movie Show. You can find us at thatmovieshow.net. Uh, we talk about all kinds of movies from, you know, very, very high pieces of cinema all the way to the dregs and garbage. Our most recent episode was about the recently released Mortal Kombat on HBO or the Iron Mask starring Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So depending on when you're listening to this and when it gets released, it's one of those two. Well, <laughs> this is not the subject of my podcast, but I, I didn't even know Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan did a movie together. Yeah, so it is a Russian movie that was filmed in 2018, I believe, and is now on Hulu. It's a fairly brand new Russian movie, and uh, that is why we want to do it. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us. If you could go to my Facebook page, give me a like and follow. I'd appreciate it. If you could follow me on Twitter, I'm uh, at Matt Spectro. And if you could uh, recommend this uh, show to friends and family, share it. Give me a five-star review if possible. Give me a like. Anything to help me out trying to reach people so we can have more fun here in the multiverse. Again, Ed, I want to thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And definitely, I hope you come back again. Yeah, anytime you'll have me, I'll be here. And do you have any final thoughts on Spider-Man, the animated series? Uh, go and check it out. If you've never watched Spider-Man, the animated series before, uh, they believe they are on Amazon Prime. You do have to rent it, but it will be back on Disney Plus soon. There's a weird contract thing, but it should be back soon. Uh, but check it out. It's worth the watch. All right, and thank you for joining us, and make sure to join us again next week for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!